James chapter 5. This morning we shall consider verse 7 to 11. But I'll read the whole chapter before considering those verses. James chapter 5. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man like, sorry, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let us ask the Lord for help once more. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that by 
its precepts and statutes we may live according to it we pray father for those who do not know the word the word that became flesh that you may open the eyes of their hearts to receive him we pray you may invade their hearts lord you may conquer them enable them to relinquish their rights and bow to the lord jesus christ who is the king of kings and the lord of lords we pray for the saints that you may encourage them you may edify them you may use your word to accomplish a good work in them these things we pray in jesus name We are getting close to, the, to finishing our study of the, in the book of James. And this morning, we shall consider verse 7 to 11. Last week, we began chapter 5. Um, we saw that it is a warning of the impending judgment upon the rich who are oppressive. It says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. The writer James condemns the rich here for their ungainful, sorry, unjust gainful of wealth, for their sin of hoarding, their laying up treasure, not for others, but for themselves in the last days. And then it says, Behold the wages of the laborers, verse 4, who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence you saw the word there luxury it's not a negative word but in this context it has the idea of softness that these people are indulging and wasting what god has given them and they're using it for self-gratification you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter the day of slaughter is talking about their coming judgment you have condemned and murdered the righteous person he does not resist you so in your wickedness you have pushed you have condemned the vulnerable and the context here is speaking of Christians who are oppressed by these rich oppressors to the point that they have murdered the righteous person. Then he says, he does not resist you. The righteous person, the vulnerable, the poor who are oppressed have no help. They have no strength in themselves to resist this onslaught from the rich oppressors. 
he does not resist you. And today we consider verse 7 to 11. I'll read again verse 7 to 11. Be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The Christian life is not an easy life. It's a life full of testing and trials. This is what the apostles in the early church want the churches, that there will be many tribulations. In Acts chapter 14, verse 21, it says when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. The gospel will be preached. The Lord in his, by his grace will save and bring many to faith. Churches will be established. And we are warned that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And brethren, one of the greatest challenges to living an obedient life is the challenge of patience. Sometimes we go through a trial and we have suffered for a long time through that trial and we think that we have been obedient enough. We think that we've done the right thing. You think that I have tried. I need to do something different. Let me ask you this morning, how long should you have to do the right thing? How long should you suffer doing the right thing? How long should you obey the scripture? What if your obedience doesn't seem to have any effect on your circumstances? Is it always a time to change when You've been obedient to God and nothing is changing. I tell you, brethren, if there is right and wrong, if you're a Christian, you should choose right. There's never a time we are justified to, 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 to choose sin. For us to live a life of obedience, we should have patience. And we come to this section in verse 7 to 11 that teaches us about patience. And three things we must remember in order to be patient. I've titled the message, How to Patiently Endure Under Trials. How to Patiently Endure Under Trials. And the first point in verse 7 and 8, we see that believers 
should patiently endure under trials because the Lord is coming. Believers should patiently endure under trials because the Lord is coming. Verse 7 and 8. And then verse 9. Believers should not complain under trials because the Lord will judge righteously. Believers should not complain under trials because the Lord will judge righteously. That's verse 9. And then thirdly, in verse 10 and 11, believers should not despair under trials because the Lord is faithful. We should not despair in trials because the Lord is faithful. So in light of the background in verse 1 to 6, we come to verse 7, and it is speaking to believers. It says, be patient therefore, brothers. And the first point is, believers should patiently endure under trials because the Lord is coming. It says, until the coming of the Lord. James, the brother of Jesus, this is a godly pastor. This is a pastor who had immediate access into the life of Jesus from childhood to adulthood. What does it mean to be patient? The word used here is in reference to the word that means long-suffering to people, not things. We find trying circumstances in our lives, but we also find difficult people in our life. It says, be patient, therefore, brothers notice the word therefore in verse 7 connects to what we've been seeing from verse 1 to 6 from verse 1 to 6 we've seen that the rich oppressors take advantage of the vulnerable and the context here is we're going to find people who will persecute us who will oppress us but we need to be patient the command there is be patient to be patient with people means to have an element of self-restraint. It means that you don't take revenge against wrong that has been done against you. It speaks of an attitude where you entrust your life to the Lord so that you do not need to feel like you are your own defender. Rather than live your life in disobedience, you are willing to suffer the consequences of obeying God and to patiently endure. This is a life of glorifying God at the expense of losing your life. We should be willing to honor God regardless of what it will cost us. James writes and says, be patient therefore, a key word there, therefore. In spite of the fact that you've been persecuted by these rich wicked oppressors, He's speaking to these believers and the word of encouragement to them is to patiently endure in the midst of trials. The call here is to live a patient life and to live a patient life because you're convinced of the character of God. What do we learn in verse 1 to 6 about God? We learn that God knows it says that 
the oppressed have cried out to God and the cries of the oppressed in verse 4 have reached the ears of who? Not the ears of the employers or the oppressors, but the ears of the Lord of hosts. God has heard their prayers and he will repay. One of the ways I can live a patient life is because I'm convinced that the Lord knows, that the God hears, that the God sees what I'm going through, and the God will and God will repay. You might be going through suffering, but the call here this morning is that the suffering will not go away, but it is for you to adjust and to have the right attitude in the midst of that suffering. And the believer is able to patiently endure in verse 7 because he has a hope. And the hope is Christ is coming. The return of the Lord is imminent. And the phrase there in verse 7 has carries the idea of a royal presence. That the king is coming. The king is, is returning. And this king will come to execute justice and righteousness. I will be patient because my king will right every wrong. He doesn't stop there. He goes on to give us an illustration. And there are three illustrations in these four verses. There is first the illustration of the farmer, there is the illustration of the prophets, and the example of Job. The illustration is, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. So be patient, brethren, for how long? Until the coming of the Lord. And then he gives us this analogy to help us understand what it means to be patient. The illustration is one of a farmer. The farmer is not easily blowed up. He's not quick-tempered when his crops have not matured before the time is due. We are called brethren to something that is uncomfortable, difficult. That is to be patient. And I have to confess that I'm not good at it. I do not like to wait in long queues in the supermarkets, in banks. I don't like to wait for so long just to cross the road. Patience is the quietness of heart in the face of uncomfortable delay. You see, sin causes us to like to delay. Sorry, causes us not to like to delay. It causes us to shrink our world down to the here and now. You cannot understand patience until you view it from the perspective of eternity. Everything that is happening in the here and now is in preparation for the world to come. You see, if there's nothing like eternity, 
then patience doesn't make sense. If there is no eternity, then we should strive to grab everything that we can right now. We need to realize that everything that is happening at this moment is that God is using it. God is preparing us for the life to come. And the glory of eternity is when we reach heaven, everything on this earth will seem very short. And brethren, nearly each of us is going through some sort of suffering. You find a husband married to an unbeliever. He has to suffer. The wife married to an unbelieving husband. She has to suffer for the will of God. You have your employer and you're faithful to your employer, yet you are underpaid. You have to suffer under your master. We suffer because of the sins of others. And the call this morning is to be patient. Why? Because the Lord is coming. When Christ returns, everything else will be meaningless. Every suffering, every chaos and confusion we've gone through will count for nothing. We're called to suffer as Christians. We are sure that in this world you shall have tribulation. All those who desire to live godly lives will suffer what? Will suffer persecution. And so if you are living for Christ, we will suffer some kind of persecution. And some will be facing persecution more than others. And so we come to this illustration, this agricultural illustration by James. And we're talking here about a farmer. The farmer is not like the laborers in the first part of the chapter. The laborers could not get through a day without their wages. This is a farmer who is able to get through, a day, through the day because he has sufficient food. And so it, this farmer doesn't need to be paid every day. This farmer is okay. And for us to better understand patience, we have the example of the farmer. The farmer is waiting on the providence of God. He's waiting on the rain in all the seasons. The rain, as he trusts, will not be one month late or one month early is waiting on the providence of God to provide the rain. And the word that is used here, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, conveys the idea that this farmer takes a long time. Someone who waits upon God to unravel his own providence. He waits upon God to act according to his time. And what a joyful attitude to wait on the providence of God. He's submitting to God to the way that God wants. This farmer realizes that he cannot make it work. 
Why? Because he waits. He waits for what? He waits for the precious fruit of the earth. There's no way that he can orchestrate those plants to grow and to mature according to his way, according to his time. He cannot hurry up the plants. He has to wait for the early and the late rains. It says there, until it receives the early and the late rains. The plants are not in his hands. He has to wait on the providence of God. And the farmer realizes that the waiting is not meaningless. It is not worthless. Why? Because in the waiting, he will harvest the precious fruit of the earth. Someone, something will come out of this patience. He's able to wait because he understands that radical changes are happening, though he cannot see it. The seed is generating. And the shoot is going deep into the soil and it will blossom. And that blossom will end up bearing fruit. Obviously, this is the context is this is the part of the world which is prone to drought and the ground is hard. And yet we see that the farmer is patient. James says, we too ought to be like this farmer, knowing that everything is outside our hand, everything is outside our control. And the reason we ought to be patient is because Christ is coming back. The biblical understanding of patience is not that we sit around and do nothing. The understanding of patience is there is a radical transformation taking place in our midst even as we wait. Patience is about what you will become as you wait. The same way there is radical transformation in the seed so that it sprouts and it blossoms and it reaches full flower and it produces fruit. The same way God is using the weight to transform you into the image and likeness of Christ. And so waiting has meaning and purpose. And that is what the farmer understands. If the farmer understands that, my question to you is, do you? Are you persuaded by the grace of God to be patient and to celebrate the wait? Do you glory in the waiting? Knowing that in waiting, you're not waiting for grace. You're waiting because you're getting grace. And then verse 8, there's a second application there. He says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your heart. It's a word that means to make stable. It's the opposite of the word unstable. And James is saying you need to stabilize your hearts. So what does it mean? It means that you can be intimidated, you can be harassed or threatened, but you do not fall down because your foundation is sure. James is a good pastor here 
because he understands that in the middle of waiting there's a war within us there's a war in our hearts our heart is weak and we begin we begin to doubt we begin to question the goodness of god we begin to see to, to wonder whether god is faithful to fulfill his promises there's a war within us in the moments of waiting and there's an enemy outside of us whispering god is not faithful giving you other options to take telling you that god will not answer you god is not near you god is calling us to fight a good fight of faith to fight for your own heart to send the roots of your heart down deep into the promises of the gospel to drink in the word of god to fight for your heart i'll ask you do you fight for your heart do you establish your heart or do you just sit around and allow things to happen we see the example of abraham in romans chapter 4 and he waited for long for his son isaac but in his waiting what happened we are told that in his waiting he grew in faith romans chapter 4 verse 18 i'll read in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told so shall your offspring be he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old or when he considered the barrenness of sarah's womb no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of god but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to god fully convinced that god was able to do what he had promised that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness we given the example of abraham here and we are told that his body was as good as dead since he was 100 years old and not only that but Sarah's womb was barren yet we are told that no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God instead that what happened he says but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God as you're waiting on the Lord you're meditating on his word you're saturating yourself with his promises you remember the grace of God in your life you feed yourself with the rich nutrients of the gospel rather than giving way to the temptation of doubt and fear we need to be a people who have a stable foundation that foundation is jesus christ during the windy season you have no doubt because your home is built on a solid rock and in life brethren there will be storms you need stability And the stability is to know that the Lord is coming. His return is imminent. Maybe you're going through trials. 
your family is persecuting you because you're a Christian, they're putting you down because of your faith, you have unsaved family members or even relatives who cannot wrap their mind about what you believe in. And you wonder, how long should I be patient? How long should I forgive my oppressors? We have the example of Peter. He comes to Jesus and he asks him, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother? You know, the rabbis used to teach that you should forgive people three times. And Peter doubles it and he says, seven times? What was the Lord's response? How many times should I forgive a brother? We're not able to do the math. And so we are never justified to be angry at our oppressors, to be bitter, not even our enemies. And so the secret to patience is to know that the Lord is returning. And why is the Lord's return important to the Christian? It is important because when Christ returns, everything will make sense. And then verse 9, when Christ returns, all those who have oppressed us will know that we were right. But what of us? And that brings us to verse 9. What is our attitude to one another as we go through trials? And you see that believers should not complain under trials because the Lord will judge righteously. Verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Believers should not complain under trials because the Lord will judge righteously. James gives a wise pastoral counsel here because very often in the midst of trial we are tempted to grumble and to complain and to murmur. We need patience with people outside the church. We need patience with people within the church. And the word grumble there means to groan, to sigh. It is to express feelings of bitterness, resentment against one another. And so the warning here is against God's people to be bitter and resentful against one another. Do not complain against one another. We are warned that it is not allowed for us to groan against one another. For us to be tired of people and to complain against a brother or a sister when you're going through trials. You could be taking a lot of heat and you're wondering why are other Christians not suffering as I am? And it's easy for you to complain against others and say, they are not praying for me enough. These people don't care about me. 
These people don't visit me. It's easy for us under trials to look at the life of someone else who is not faithful, who is a Christian, who is not faithful, and say, I want to, I want to live like them. I want to compromise so that I will not face more trials. See, grumbling is one of the things that has destroyed many churches. And the warning here is when you grumble, when you complain, what might become of you? It says, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Let's clarify first of all. We know that Jesus Christ is your savior. Therefore, you will not be condemned for your sins. Because the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8. So for those who know Jesus Christ, they will never be condemned. Jesus took the judgment of their sins on the cross. And they will not need to face Jesus Christ on the great white throne to answer for their sin. But as believers, we know that we will give an account for everything that we do. And not only everything that we do, but everything that we fail to do, the sin of omission. But I'll not have to face the condemnation of my sin because Jesus took that. And so James is not saying that believers will be judged in a judicial sense because Jesus Christ has already taken away their sin. He's saying that do not grumble, do not complain or sigh against people because the judge, Jesus Christ, is at the door. Any moment, the judge of all the earth will come into the room and every one of us will give an account before him. Brethren, if we embrace the doctrines of grace, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, then you have to admit that every time you grumble, you're grumbling against God. You have never had a neutral complaining or grumble in your life. Your grumbling is deeply theological. It is an evidence of dissatisfaction in the sovereign plan of the Almighty God. When Israel was in the border before the land of promise and the spies came back and gave a bad report that there was, the land was filled with, with giant warriors, we are told that the people grumbled against God and God names that grumbling as an act of rebellion against him. Here's an interesting thing. It's quite possible for us to sing on a Sunday morning, great is thy faithfulness. Whatever my God ordains is right. And then we go home and grumble and complain after the service. 
the struggles that we go through are not the struggles of the mouth, it's the struggle of the heart, as we've seen. And so, are you resting in the plan and the purpose of the Redeemer? Are you living in such a way that you can say, whatever my God ordains is right? Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. If you ever had an experience that you walk into a room, a group of people who know, who know you very well, and you enter the room and the conversation stopped. Either they are hiding something from you, or perhaps they are talking about you behind your back. But you can sense in their looks that they are talking about you. And the point being made here is, those, if those people knew who was standing at the door, they would not say what they are saying. The same case here, if you knew who was standing at the door, you will not complain. He's standing at the door, he's already there. And he calls you to be patient. He calls you to transform your speech. And so is your life a life of grumble? Or are you resting in the purposes of God? And then thirdly, verse 10 to 11, believers should not despair under trials because the Lord is faithful. Verse 10 and 11, believers should not despair under trials because the Lord is faithful. Verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. You ask, what, what is this about? We have an example here. An example of what? An example of suffering and patience. And the suffering here is not because it's not something like you had a, a bad day or you had a flu. This is suffering in the sense that it is evil. Something evil is being committed. These rich oppressors were wicked and they are treating these believers wickedly. And so James gives us the example of the prophets. And you read in the Old Testament, the prophets understood what it meant to live before God. The Bible says that the prophets preached things that they did not understand. They proclaimed things that their eyes will not see. They were willing to preach under great duress and to put their trust in the Lord and to be faithful in speaking the truth. And so they are a great example to us of patience because they followed the Lord faithfully. They suffered for the Lord. They could not understand what God was doing in their life. They did not have a Bible like us. They could not understand Christ fully. We are told that we ought to remember them as an example of suffering and of what? And of patience. And this second part here, it's talking about patience 
in the sense of steadfastness, that they remained steadfast. It, is, it means to remain under. And so they were able to be patient under this heavy load as they went through life. Verse 11, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Job is suffering, but he is exhibiting patience and is an example to us. Consider, for example, the prophet Jeremiah, who was thrown into prison, who was lowered into a merry dungeon, yet long suffering is what he exhibited as he served the Lord. Think of Daniel, ripped away from home as he was young, thrown into a lion's den, yet he was patiently serving the Lord in the midst of suffering. Think of John the Baptist, thrown into prison and finally beheaded, yet patiently serving the Lord. The point here is, the same God who gave these prophets grace to endure patiently, is the same God who grants you grace to face trials patiently. And so we remember them as an example of suffering. In verse 11, we are told of Job. Job remained steadfast. To remain steadfast means it is, it is patience on steroids. It's patience on legs. It, it, it carries this idea that this person is resolute. And so we see the example of Job there. He was able to go through difficult circumstances. He cursed the day that he was born. In chapter 3, he was constantly asking God, why are you doing this? He wrestled with God, he wrestled with his friends. In spite of that, Job was resolute. He says, I know my Redeemer lives. Even though he will strike me, I will trust in him. That is the kind of steadfastness being spoken about here. And then he says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And then, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. You have seen how God dealt with Job. God had a purpose for bringing calamity in the life of Job. And that makes all difference in the life of a believer. The sufferings of Job was to test his faith, was to know whether his faith was true. The suffering of Job was to strengthen his faith. It was to enable Job to, to have a high view of God and also to increase his blessedness. You see, God is in control of everything and nothing falls outside his sovereign hand. And God knows 
and it has a purpose in the trials that come your way. There's a, there's a purpose for every kind of suffering that we go through. So Job exhibits steadfastness. So when you're going through suffering, it could be severe, it could be difficult, it could be a suffering that may be lifelong, it will never go away. Should we fade in obedience? Should we be discouraged? Should we let go of good habits? Should we begin to wonder whether it is worth praying? Is it worth reading my Bible? Why should I go to church while I'm going through this trial? This trial is endless. You see, it's very easy to fall into the temptation of wandering. And so may this call you to be steadfast, to be obedient to God. Job is an example here of a noble waiter. Job waited. He waited. It was messy. It was difficult. He lost his family. He lost his livestock. Everyone forsook him. But turn to Job 42. And this is a practical demonstration of what James is teaching. In Job 42, this is a what James is teaching in a practical way. Job 42. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes, my eyes sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is the end of... Job's debate with God and God lectures him in a very powerful way and the blessing here is a blessing that you cannot purchase you cannot reserve, you cannot earn it's a blessing of a radical change of heart and that is what God is after God was not so much interested with blessing Job and multiplying his, his multiplying his his uh, his blessings. God was after the heart of Job, and Job acknowledges. God acknowledges at the at the end there. Job acknowledges, and he becomes a reformed man. Job has a greater view of who God is. Is a renewed person. So if we wait, 
will understand the character of God. God is not mean, he's not a miser, he's not vengeful. He's a God of glorious mercy and compassion. And he says at the end there that you have seen the purpose of the Lord. What is the purpose of the Lord in your life as a Christian? To conform you into the image and likeness of Christ. The same way Job was conformed. And then he says how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Hear this truth, my brothers and sisters. The way you have been called is the way of that mercy and compassion. And you and I live in a fallen world and we desire a time when sin will be removed, when we will be in heaven with God. And God refines us because he's merciful and compassionate. What is compassionate? Compassion, this is a wonderful word. It, it means that God sees his children are treated. Sorry, God sees how his children are treated and is compassionate. God sees us and he says our trials and is compassionate upon us. Mercy has to do with God feeling our pain and intervening. And so in summary, brethren, the Lord is coming back. Be patient. The Lord will judge. Don't complain. The Lord is faithful. Don't despair. And so the thing that will help you as you go through trials in life is to have a proper view of God. Let me close with four questions to you this afternoon. Four questions. Are you patient in the midst of trials? Do you grow weary of doing good in the midst of trials? And then secondly, do you think you have a right to disobey God when your obedience is not paying off? If you're a child of God and you go on sinning because you feel that you have suffered enough, do you think you have a right to do that? Because God loves his children and he chastises them, he disciplines them. He will not let you go on in your sin because you belong to him. And then third question, are you using the biblical means to live a patient and obedient life? And then lastly, do you treat yourself as helpless when you grow weary under trial? We have a choice to make. A choice to be patient, to be strong, to remember that the Lord is coming, the Lord will judge, and the Lord is faithful. Let us pray. Father, we pray this afternoon that you may help us, for we are weak. We need your strength to patiently 
endure through the trials and the persecutions that come our way. Help your people not to grumble and to complain as they go through difficulties in life. Help them, Lord, to have a proper view, proper understanding of who you are and to trust upon you, Lord, and to wait upon your providence. We give you praise and we honor you, for we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.